All right, you can come on back in. Actually, that is not the correct title. I forgot to change that. It is actually the leading of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about today. So, my mistake. Waiting for that to catch up. There we go. Okay, that's weird. All right. No idea what that's all about. Uh, Jesse, can you maybe reboot the Apple TV? I'm not sure what's happening there. So while it's coming up, I'll bring us up to speed on where we are. We have been studying the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> of course, and the n last number of weeks, we have been covering some different things. Uh, this is week five. Um, going back to the beginning, the first week we covered who is the Holy Spirit, the deity and the personality of the Holy Spirit. The second week, we covered the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, both in the world and in the church. And then the third week, we covered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is it and how does it happen? And then last week, we covered the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fruit of love, and we looked at that to see uh, what it means to not only be indwelt, but more importantly, to be filled with or to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we've been. I hope that these studies have been helpful for you. I've heard some feedback that uh, people are getting some good positive things out of this. And I think the important thing is, you know, when we teach through the scriptures expositionally, as we often do, um, we talk about the Holy Spirit when we get to uh, his topic or his, he's mentioned, of course, in the scriptures. And I think we, we kind of get pieces. We get piecemeal teaching about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But we wanted to take some time at the beginning of this year and focused on his ministry and his work and just ask him to speak to us and to minister to us um, just waiting for this to come up. Um, as we uh, enter this year and get a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. As we talked a couple of weeks ago about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, I just wanted to circle back on that for a moment. I think one of the things that has been often confusing for folks is uh, thinking that there has to be some kind of a thing where you know, you're, you know, the misconception of being slain in the Spirit. And I say it as a misconception because people kind of make it out to be, I'm not sure why this is happening, we're just going to have to deal with it, so sorry about that. But we're, um, you know, there's a misconception about that with respect to how does the Holy Spirit come upon someone. And when we looked at the Scriptures, we saw that on the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit came upon people, uh, yes, they were enabled and empowered to speak in tongues, but it was not some bizarre, weird thing that happened to them. And as the Lord used them and moved in their lives, and then we looked at sort of the book of Acts and how this happened and uh, the different times that the Spirit came upon people, or they were filled with the Spirit, we saw that they spoke boldly, that they prayed, uh, that they um, had great wisdom, that they had power for service, 
and they were, of course, given gifts, and we're going to start next week talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as we spoke last week about the evidence of the baptism, we talked about love being the primary fruit that comes forth from our lives, and that we are witnesses to Jesus because Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have in your lives, not only for one another, but especially for the world, especially for those who are lost. And so we went into great depth with that last week. So let's open in prayer as we get into the issue of the leading of the Holy Spirit this week and see what the Lord has for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that as we get into your word this morning and we consider this very important topic of how do you lead us, how do you minister to us, how do you speak to us, we ask you that you would minister, that you would speak, that you would be very clear with us this morning. And as we look at all of these many examples of how you have spoken and how you have ministered, Lord, may you minister to us today and pour out your spirit among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Holy Spirit does, of course, lead us. He has not left us uh, just to uh, empower us, you know, and to give us uh, the ability to minister in his name. He leads us in our daily lives. He leads us in how he wants us to live. And there's this wonderful passage here in Romans chapter 8, and I apologize for whatever's going on with the screen this morning. Uh, But Paul wrote there, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So it's important for us to know that we are being led by the Spirit of God because this is a continuing evidence that we belong to him and that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. So, I will be posting this as I have been the other slides um, in the uh, Google Drive box for your edification. Um, There's a lot to go over this morning and I've tried to sort of whittle this down. I hope I've done a good job of doing that but we'll find out as we go through it. Um, And I wanna start just in the book of Genesis and start looking at how does the Lord speak? How does he lead? And I hope that as we go through these different examples that we'll kind of glean and understand that the Lord, um, you know, there's an old saying, right? The Lord moves in mysterious ways. By the way, that's not a Bible verse. But I think as we go through it this morning, you'll see that the Lord does move in mysterious ways. That he doesn't always operate in the same way in the way he speaks to us. Sometimes as we see in our Old Testament examples, he spoke very audibly and very clearly to them. And then in other times, Uh, We'll see where he didn't speak audibly at all, but he sort of spoke more through signs and and nudges, if you will, to guide them in a certain direction. One of the most interesting uh, stories up front is uh, Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, his son. And as we look at this story in Genesis chapter 24, the Lord had spoken to Abraham and said, the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land. 
he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So the Lord had given very specific instructions to Abraham. And so as he's speaking to his servant and giving him instruction, the, the servant is speaking back and saying, well, okay, and I'll go, I'll go and I'll do this, but what if I go and she doesn't want to come? I mean, that's a very real possibility, right? I'm just a strange dude. I walk up to her on the street, so to speak, and there's in, this interaction happens and I meet her for the first time. And how do we kind of get to, uh, I'm here to get a wife for my master. How do we have that conversation? Uh, that could be awkward, right? Uh, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham. It's the way they swore loyalty uh, to their master. And so then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all of his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And this is where, of course, Abraham was from. And he made his uh, camels kneel down outside the city by a well <coughs> of water, <coughs> excuse me, at evening at the time when women go out to draw water. And pay very careful attention, okay? This is, as he's going, he's going in faith according to the word of the Lord that came to him through his master. The, his master has given him instructions, and now he gets there, and he's like, what do I do? Verse 12, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. So he begins to pray, and he says, God, help me. Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, so he kind of lays out a specific sort of test case for God. And he says, please let it be uh, that you know, the, the woman uh, to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you've appointed. Now it's interesting how the servant did this, and there's a couple of things I want to point out here. The servant just said, I need, I, need, I need to know, Lord. I need to know that this is the woman that you have, and I need to know specifically because as I look out and all these women come out at this time of the evening to the well to draw water, how am I going to know, assuming that it's one of them, that you're leading me to? So could you give me a specific sign? Could you let her speak to me in this way? Uh, let her be the one you've appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So we have to be careful with these kinds of things because we don't want to dictate to God and say, God, I'm not going to listen unless you speak to me this way. But I think that this servant was a humble servant, and I think he was just in a very kind way pleading and saying, God, would you be gracious to me and speak to me in a way that I can understand what you want me to do here? And it happened before he had finished speaking. So he's praying. He's, he, it sounds like he's speaking audibly, you know, praying out loud. That behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Micah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, and so it goes through and it describes the situation. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, drink, my Lord. Now, it just makes me wonder, if I want to stop here for a moment, as all these women are coming out, is, he going to, is this his method, right? He's going to run to each one of them and say, can I have a drink of water? Can I have a drink of water from you? Would you give me a drink of water? And you kind of get the sense of, you know, he wants to be faithful, but this is a pretty awkward situation. So as he walks up to her, the very first one, 
She says, uh, drink, and I will uh, draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she very quickly went to empty her pitcher in the trough and to go back and to draw for the camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to how to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so he's kind of like, this is looking pretty good, but I want to be sure. Right, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring and he went to her and he said, who are you? Right, Because the, the instructions were it had to be someone from my people, from my tribe. And so as he begins to speak to her, uh, he asks her some questions. Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And she says, yes, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Wow, that's Abraham's family. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. That's a great response when God speaks to you, isn't it? When God gives you a sign, when he speaks to you clearly, when you know he's leading you to stop and to give him thanks and to worship him, that's something very important for us. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. Notice that this servant is not pointing toward himself. And there are many who believe that this servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. And that he was doing what the Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He would serve me and he would point back to me. And this servant, this nameless servant we might add, is pointing back to his master and his prayer is a reflection back to how God has blessed his master. And as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So this is very important for us because sometimes we need to sit and wait on the Lord. We'll find that a little bit later in some of the examples we'll see. But in this particular case, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham gave it to his servant and he sent him. So he didn't have a lot of time to think and to pray and to kind of go, I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm not going to move until God speaks to me. He was moving. He was on the move. He was on the go because he was sent. And as he was on the way, the Lord led him to the house of his master's brethren. This is important for us to understand as we consider how does God lead us. This is one of the ways he leads He speaks to us as we go. We stop and we pray as we go. And we ask God for open doors and we ask God to show us. And yes, even uh, give us a sign. Lord, show us if this is the path you want us to take or if this is the decision that you want us to make. So we're going to move a little quickly because we have a lot to cover. That's one example. Another one, in Genesis 37 up through chapter 50, we find the story of Joseph and how the Lord spoke to and led Joseph. Now, you might initially think of the story of Joseph and say, are you saying the Lord led Joseph? I mean, his brothers mistreated him. His brothers were going to kill him, and they sold him into slavery. And where's the God leading Joseph part here? Because it seems like this random thing that happened to him. And it starts out in chapter 37 that Joseph has dreams. These dreams are unexplained. It's just that he has this first dream, which was the binding of the sheaves, which bowed down to him, and that was one dream, and he shared that with his family, and of course, they immediately jumped to the conclusion, which was actually correct, that they would one day bow down to him. 
And they became indignant and they said, you dreamer, what do you, what's going on? You, you think you're going to rule over us? You're the youngest, you're our brother. You're going to rule over us? Are you crazy? And then he has another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him, the 11 stars being his 11 brothers. He was number 12. And the time of those dreams when Joseph had them, the scriptures tell us in that passage, he was 17. And the note here is that God began to lead him toward a purpose. Now, as you sit and you read from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, and you get the whole view of what happened in his life, God began to lead him toward a purpose. Joseph's brothers became envious. They formed a plot to kill him. They instead, these are my Cliff's notes, by the way, uh, sell him to the Midianite traders who were headed toward Egypt. They fake his death. They tell his father Jacob. They douse his uh, coat that his dad had given him. And it was well known that he was the favorite of his father. And he'd given him that coat of many colors, which was a coat of blessing. And they go back and show him this amazing gift covered in blood. Your son was killed. He's dead. And what a horrible thing to do, right? And Joseph was sold, as we read the story, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. Now, Joseph, Joseph's life, as we consider it from a human perspective at this point, seems to be just happening randomly, doesn't it? It seems like, wow, this bizarre, crazy, weird super bad thing happened to him. And, and, and how does he, I mean, how's God leading him in this? Well, let's stay tuned. Let's continue to go on. It says here in Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So as he was sold into slavery and as he got to Potiphar's house, who was uh, one of the, the main advisors to the king of Egypt, he immediately began to be recognized, not because of his great skill and intellect and prowess, but because the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave him favor, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field." Now, I don't want you to lose sight of those two dreams that God gave Joseph, because those dreams are what God is setting in motion here years in advance that he's going to fulfill on Joseph's behalf. So the Lord was with Joseph, he was leading Joseph, he was blessing Joseph, he was even blessing his master's house. However, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph and he did the right thing and refused her and he ran away from the temptation. And then Joseph, of course, was falsely accused and imprisoned because she lied about him and she wanted uh, him, she couldn't have him, so she said, if, nobody can have, if I can't have him, nobody can have him and she had him thrown in prison. So we skip ahead a bit. Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he was in prison. Now, if we stopped there, we would kind of go, wow. But the next verse, but the Lord was with Joseph. So I hope we can see already from the beginning how the Lord is leading Joseph. And he showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
So just as the Lord gave him favor, uh, even with his brothers, remember they were arguing, should we put him to death, should we not? And a couple of his brothers kind of stood up and said, well, no, we shouldn't kill him. Even there, God had his hand on him and protected him. And then even as he was sold to slave traders and he made it to Egypt and the guy who just happened to buy him was in Potiphar's house. Again, remember the dreams, what God is going to do in his life. God showed him favor in Potiphar's house. Now God is giving him favor in the prison. And the keeper of the prison, verse 23, did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So God was with Joseph. I want to stop and interject a verse here. Romans 8, 28. Most of us know this verse. We might have it underlined in our Bible. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this verse could also be an overarching verse for this study, but for Joseph's life and what God is doing in Joseph's life as he's walking through this experience, God is doing this very thing for him. So as we read on, we find out that Joseph interprets two prisoners' dreams, the butler and the baker, for the king of Egypt. The interpretations were accurate. One was positive, one was negative. The uh, butler, he gave him a favorable interpretation. Hey, in three days you're going to be released and you'll be back in the king's service. But the baker, he said, things aren't going to go so well for you. You're going to be decapitated. Not good. I'm sorry, but that's, that's the interpretation of the dream. And that is what happened. But Joseph continued to stay in prison unjustly, we might add. Remember, he was there falsely accused. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He's called out of prison because as the butler goes into Pharaoh's service, the Pharaoh ends up having a dream. And the butler, as he's there in the king's service, says, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there was a guy in prison who helped me, and he accurately interpreted my dream, and here I am serving you, O king. So maybe we could, should call that guy to come and help you. And remember, Joseph had asked the, the butler, if you read the story, you know, when you're released, if you would be so kind as to remember me and try to get me out of here because, you know, this is not um, the right thing. I'm here unjustly. But the baker, excuse me, the butler forgot about him and left him in prison. So now at the right time in God's plan, he's called forward from prison to come and uh, serve the Pharaoh directly. And he gives the Pharaoh a divine plan of how he should navigate this, these dreams. And these dreams were about years of famine and years of plenty. And he said the years of plenty will come first, seven years to be specific, and then there will be seven years of famine. And so the Lord spoke to Pharaoh and Joseph interpreted and said, this is what you're supposed to do. You want to manage the, the years of plenty and save and then you want to be prepared for the years of famine. So Joseph was appointed Pharaoh's overseer for his household, second in command over all of Egypt. Remember the two dreams. Don't forget those. Joseph was 30 years old now when he stood before Pharaoh. 13 years had passed since this whole thing happened. When he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So he had great freedom. Joseph later uh, called the name of his firstborn, so now he's married and he has two kids, and he has two children, um, Manasseh and Ephraim, 
And so these seven plentiful years came, and as they came, Joseph is put in charge of administrating the plan, which was the dream he interpreted for Pharaoh. And then the seven years of famine came. Now, as the, the seven years of famine come, Joseph's brothers travel to Egypt to find relief because they've run out of food. The famine has hit hard where they are, up in Israel. And as they come down, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him because he was dressed like an Egyptian and the paint and the garb, and of course, many years had passed. But as you read the story, and I encourage you to go back and read this, there's so much more than, I, than we can cover here, but it is just an amazing story. So he has this conversation with him and he kind of taunts them and plays with them a little bit like a cat playing with a mouse. And the brothers go back to Egypt and uh, with Benjamin and Joseph tests them in chapter 44. Then Joseph finally reveals himself to them in chapter 45. We're now two years into the famine. Joseph is now 38. We're now 21 years after he was sold into slavery. And then we find these amazing words that Joseph speaks to his brothers, and he says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father and say to him, thus your son Joseph, uh, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And now he has a plan for his family and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine. Remember the dreams. They would fall down and, and bow before him, and the, then the stars, right, they would bow down and worship him. Amazing what God has done over these years in and through the life of Joseph. So Joseph's family comes to Egypt, then God spoke to Israel in the night, so now you flash back to they've, gotten, they've gone home, they've spoken to Israel, the father, Jacob and Israel are the same person, of course, and then the Lord speaks to him and says, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am, and he said, I am the... I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes, meaning you're going to die there, and Joseph himself will be there to put his hand on your eyes and to usher you into death. Now, as we come to the end, of this amazing story. Jacob's family comes, they settle in, Jacob dies. This is now near the end of the famine. Joseph's about 43. Now we're 26 years after he was sold into slavery. Uh, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers. His brothers are still trembling in fear ever since they got there, you know, knowing that they had done this horrible thing. They're like, you know, maybe he's still playing with us. Maybe there's bitterness and anger in his heart. And maybe at just the right time, he's going to spring on us and bring some kind of a harsh judgment, which we would no doubt deserve. And so they're having this conversation with him. Then his brothers also went. And what did they do? They fell down before his face. Amazing. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Those two dreams are fulfilled that day in their lives. And Joseph said to them, 
Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph was walking with the Lord, and the Lord was with him. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is Romans 8, 28. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What an amazing story. This is what God did over the lifetime of a man. And the story continues, but I wanted to show you this because I want you to understand. God, you know, we live in this microwave generation, don't we? Lord, I need an answer to my problem by tomorrow at noon. Hopefully it'll be this answer because that's the one I need. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be upset. And you can see here how in Joseph's life, as one example, that God chose to let it happen over the course of a great many years, and he worked out his plan as life progressed. But Joseph's heart remained true and steadfast to the Lord, right? So there's a key for us as we consider these things. Let's uh, race ahead. The Lord leads with uh, pillars of cloud and fire. Remember when the Lord was with the nation of Israel, he had led them out of the Pharaoh's charge. He's now leading them toward the Red Sea experience where he's going to part the waters. And so the Lord is now ministering to them. And um, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, which would have been the short route, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So we get a little insight into the way God may lead us at, at times. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. In other words, he took them the long way so that they wouldn't be tempted to return. And the children of Israel went up orderly in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And then Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because God promised Joseph uh, and uh, Israel that he would take them back to the land. And uh, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up, here, up from here with you. So they took their journey and they went. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So this is, of course, a very dramatic thing where God gave them a very visible sign and he's leading these couple of million plus people through the wilderness. And God is doing so in just such a way that they cannot deny that it is the Lord. Now, the tragedy is, as we follow their story, as they now are spending 40 years in the wilderness for their uh, rebellion against God, God did this kind of thing for them all the time. This was a regular occurrence that God did these kinds of signs and wonders for them to lead them and to guide them and to provide for them. And yet they rebelled against God. And there's a warning here for us that even if God were to lead us in such a way that we have a spotlight guiding our way and there's a symbol before us and we know that definitely I go this way and I do that, that our hearts can still turn wayward toward the Lord. But God is so faithful to lead. Wasn't he faithful to his people? Wasn't he merciful to his people? Wasn't he kind? God loves to lead so much. Look at the 
story of Elijah. Now, Elijah, you can just read about his life, and he is just an amazing man of God, and God led him in so many ways. Here's but one story. Elijah was being led, and this was just before uh, when he encountered the prophets of Baal. And it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, and he says, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. As you read the story, God had sort of a plan for him, and he's like, I want you to go over here and hang out for a while, just get out of the flow of things while I put some other things in place, and then I'm going to call you back out. And it says, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So God told him to go and do something. Now, one of the most important things we need to learn about the leading of the Lord, the leading of the Holy Spirit, is when we sense that he is speaking and leading and and telling us to do something, we have to do it. You see, he won't lead if we won't take the step and do what he said. And if he says to go and to do something and we don't, and then we sit and we wait and we're like, why isn't God speaking to me? It's because we didn't take that step of obedience when he spoke to us. And when we get confused and when we get lost, we need to go back to the last time we heard God's voice speak to us and say, was I faithful? Did I obey what God spoke to me? And so here we find the wonderful example of Elijah as he was faithful to do what God said, even though it seemed a little strange. I want you to just go out, don't take anything, go out and camp by yourself out by the brook, and don't worry, I'm going to take care of everything. The faithfulness of God as he leads his people. Now we have the amazing story of how David was anointed king. And this is somewhat the story of how God led Samuel to David. And so we're not going to read all this. I've got a couple of pages of this. But here's what happened is, as uh, Samuel went, uh, the Lord said, okay, I'm done with Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and I'm going to appoint a man who is a man after my own heart. So as he goes, um, he he says, uh, I want you to go to Jesse's house. Uh, Go there, and from among his sons, you're going to choose one who will become the king to replace Saul. So he goes, and as he gets there in verse 6, and these, he begins to see these sons that Jesse has. Uh, in verse 6, so it was that when they came, he looked at Eliab, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now he saw this man come out, and he just immediately, as we would all do, he looked at him and he said, wow, this guy looks like a king. He looks like he has the presence and the walk and the stature and the looks, like he could be a king. But the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, God doesn't lead the way we think he leads. God has a different way. He has a different standard. He has a different plan. So don't look at these sons and judge them by how good-looking they are and how they carry themselves and their ability to speak and present themselves. He says, you pray and you wait until I speak to you. And so as he is there, uh, Jesse called Abinadab, uh, sorry, um, yeah, yeah, neither has the Lord chosen this one, so he brought all the sons before him. 
Um, and then neither has the Lord chosen this one. And so the Lord is speaking to him. And then in verse 10, uh, seven of his son pa- sons passed and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Are all the young men here? And he says, yeah, there's, there's one. He's out taking care of the sheep. He's out in the field. He's probably not your guy. He's kind of the runt of the litter. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him. This is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And from that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Why is this story important? If you go and read the story of David, his story isn't too dissimilar from Joseph's story because it was many years from the day he was anointed till the day he became king. Many years passed. And the Lord had to do a lot of work in his life. And I think one of the interesting things here is even though that David was anointed on this day, he wasn't ready to be king. And it took the Lord working in and through his life over the course of years to bring him to the point, even though he had the promise of God, you're going to be the king. That one day when I'm ready, I will make you king. So he gives him the promise here. He gives him the anointing. And I think this is in some ways, if you can understand this, a picture for us. Because on the day we say yes to Jesus and we become saved, are we ready to enter heaven? Not yet, because God hasn't quite said it's your time. And the Lord will determine when the day is that we should pass from this life and enter his presence forever. But until then, we have to live, we have to learn, we have to experience what the Lord has for us, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so we now have the story of Elijah. Elijah Elijah was going through some tough times, This is later in his life, and he ends up in a cave where he spent the night, and this is after um, the prophets of Baal experience, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, and he starts giving God his excuses, right? Lord, you know, I've been, all these things I've done for you, uh, for the children of Israel's forsaken you, everybody's turned their backs on you, they've not listened to your word through me as I've spoken to them. They've killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So God, I'm here because I'm afraid, and if I wasn't here, I'd probably be dead. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Same question from the Lord. And he said, again, giving the Lord his experience. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and you shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nemishi, as king over Israel. So he gives him some very specific instructions. But he goes to the end here, and he says, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, 
all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So you see, Elijah had this distorted perspective that he was the only one left who was a servant of God. Lord, it's just me, just me and you. But the Lord said, no, no, I've got other people. In fact, I've got 7,000 more, not just a couple. And I have more people that you don't know about. Don't question what God is doing. And so in this amazing story of Elijah, as he went, <coughs> in some respects, in depression to go hide out because he was sort of, you know, woe is me and I'm going to die and I've served the Lord and nothing's really happened. And now, you know, if you read the story, Jezebel's after him. She wants his head. She wants to kill him. And God speaks to him. God uh, comes to him in all these amazing ways, you know, the wind and the rain and the, the storm and all of that. And then notice how it said that the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. But the Lord came in a still small voice. And I think that is there for a reason because often that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We're looking for the dramatic. I want to see, Lord, I'm, I'm on the way to a job interview and I want to see the plane in the sky saying that you're going to get the job, right? This is, this is what we look for. And it would be great if the Lord did that. We'd be like, yay. But sometimes the Lord says, no, no, I just want you to stop and listen to me. Don't look for the supernatural. Don't look for the big and, and, and all of that. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. As we continue, remember the story of Gideon? Gideon was a servant of God. Gideon was a very timid man, and uh, he was hiding out and kind of didn't want to follow the Lord and certainly didn't want to be a leader and God had appointed him to be a leader. And then uh, Gideon comes to him and Gideon does this thing called putting out a fleece and God had spoken to him and said, here's what I want you to do, Gideon, and here are my instructions. And Gideon comes to him and says, well, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, as you have said, I've put out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and so here's how I'll know. If there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on the ground, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand. And so he woke up the next morning, and it was as he had asked. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but that wasn't good enough for me, God. But let me speak just once more, lest let me test, I pray, just once more with fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did that. And so as the Lord, uh, they went back and forth a couple of times on this. Now the Lord was gracious, and he did these things that Gideon had asked. But in reality, these things were really because Gideon had a lack of faith. He didn't really trust in the Lord. But the important thing is that God was faithful that God was merciful, and that God spoke to him. And I think that one of the many things we can learn from this one is that God wants us to be faithful. And when he speaks, and if we don't get it because we're a little dense, he'll do it again. Lord, this time I want the ground to be wet. No, this time I want the fleece to be wet. Lord, this time maybe make half the fleece wet and half the fleece dry. I mean, just to make sure, I, mean, I want to make sure this is not you, this is you and not just a fluke of nature, that this is really you speaking to me. And God is gracious with our faith, and some, he knows we're immature, we're growing. 
And he will speak to us sometimes in the way that we need to be spoken to because that's the way he is, even though he's been pretty clear. What about the case of Balaam? If you know his story. Now, this is a whole story. Go read Numbers 22. There's a lot going on here. But the issue with Balaam is Balaam was sort of pushing the envelope. He was a prophet of God. And God was speaking to him very clearly, and he said, don't do this, don't do this. And Balaam kept saying, but I want to do it. And he kept pushing the envelope. We don't have time to read this whole story. But as Balaam is kind of going in the way, and he's going to do what God told him not to do, God's anger was aroused. And so he got on his donkey, and he was going. And then verse 23, now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. This is a reference, the way it's written, to a, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. I get the picture here. that This is like a picture from Revelation of Jesus with his sword. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and he was like, yeah, I'm not going that way. And he went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Now God had been speaking to Balaam very clearly if you go and read the story, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And so in pain, he cried out and he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further. So you kind of get the sense here of the, the extent to which the angel of the Lord is going to speak to Balaam. And the angel of the Lord went further, stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down. And Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey. Now here's the amazing thing. Now the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, as if this was a normal everyday occurrence, because you've uh, abused me and I wish there was a sword in my hand for I would kill you. And the donkey said, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his face and fell flat. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Now, if this isn't the grace and the mercy of God, I don't know what is. An angel of the Lord standing in his way, preventing him from doing what he told him not to do. Now, talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. Talk about God saying, I love you so much. I do not want you to go down this path. What an amazing story. The donkey saw me. The donkey had enough sense to realize who I was, to see me, and to be obedient. And if she had not turned aside, I would have killed you, Balaam. The donkey saved your life. Wow, how humiliating it would be that God had to take one of the dumbest animals on the face of the planet to protect me, to protect one of us, from the wickedness of our own ways because he loves us so much. Now Jesus, as we move into the New Testament, then Jesus, after he had been baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when he, they had ended, he was hungry. Then it says, Then Jesus, after he had been tempted by the devil, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now notice our Lord and Savior was filled with the Holy Spirit after he was baptized, and it says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Now isn't Jesus the one who taught us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation? But clearly the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? How do we reconcile these things? Well, the Lord spoke to Jesus as the Holy Spirit led him because this was a necessary thing for Jesus to do. But when Jesus taught us to pray that we would not, uh, the Lord would not lead us into temptation, you know, he's teaching us how to pray, how to come to God and say, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. You know, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen. And so that's the way we're to pray, but as we look at Jesus, the Spirit led him into the place where he was both tested and tempted by the devil. And I believe sometimes, whether we are there by our own accord, as we see with Balaam, or whether maybe God has something he wants to do in our lives, God might allow us to be tested. I mean, hey, we could look at the, the story of Jonah, right? That's one of the many I couldn't put in here because we didn't have time. And Jonah said no to God, and he ran the other direction. And, and God did to Jonah much of what he did to Balaam, except God used a whale in that situation instead of a donkey. But God spoke to Jesus. He led Jesus into the place of temptation. And if God leads you into a place of testing, uh, you should know one very important thing, that it's not there so that God can figure out what you're made of and what your character is, it's so that we can see it. Because aren't we usually surprised when we do something and we go, wow, how could I do that? And God wants to reveal it to us so that we can see, so that he can guide us in the right path, so he can keep us in the, the right direction so that we will follow him. Well, what about in the case of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? Now, Philip was one of those guys in Acts chapter 6 who was called to be a deacon and who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Philip is ministering in the name of the Lord. An angel spoke to, uh, to Philip saying, Arise, go down uh, toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And why are we told that? Because... It's sort of like when the Lord told Elijah to go out by the brook Cherith. Why would you tell me to head out into the wilderness, Lord? I have a plan. Just do what I said. Here, similar thing. Philip is commanded to go down to a desert road. So he went, and as he's going, he comes across a man of Ethiopia. Turns out to be a eunuch of great authority. What a coincidence. Under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, sort of like Joseph, and he uh, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, sitting in his chariot, happened to be reading Isaiah the prophet. He had a scroll. And the Spirit spoke to Philip as Philip was walking in obedience, going, okay, Lord, I'll go on the road and see what happens. The Lord speaks to him and says, go up to the chariot and speak to this guy. And so he goes, and as, as it happened here, 
He says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, I don't, unless someone explains it to me, how can I truly know what's happening? And then Philip, as he goes up, he explains all of this to him. And this man says, okay, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to, to come to him. How do I do this? Uh, can I be baptized now? Here's water. Why can't we just do it right now? Why can't I become a Christian right here and right now? And he says, okay. And so he baptized him. And right after this happened, the uh, last verse there, 39, now when they had come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was now translated up to Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Here's the important thing. God spoke to Philip, sort of a crazy thing. I want you to just leave and go take a walk and we'll see what happens. And God directed his path as he went. What about this man, Ananias? Now, Saul of Tarsus had just gotten saved. He had gone into the city, and he couldn't see. He was blind. And so this servant of the Lord, Ananias, was sitting there minding his own business, and the Lord begins to speak to him. And he spoke to him in a vision. And he said, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And he said, I want you to go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Well, that's a miracle. Saul is praying. He's praying to me. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And I want you to be that guy. And Ananias said, but Lord, I got a little objection here. This is the dude who's been killing everybody who's been called a Christian, who's been named by your name. Are you sure you've got this straight? And God says, I've got it straight. I want you to go. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So he goes, and he walks in, verse 17, and he entered the house, and he laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul. Now this is faith for this man to walk in and to do this. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul right here, filled with the Spirit at the very beginning of his ministry. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. What an amazing thing. God just spoke to this servant, and this servant obediently went and did what God told him to do. We never hear from him again in the Scriptures, but he was a faithful servant of the Lord. We've got to hurry. Uh, Cornelius and Peter. Uh, I can't go through all of this because of time, but Acts chapter 10, go read it. But God spoke to Cornelius as he was up in one city, and in the same instance, he spoke to Peter who was down in another city. And he said to Cornelius, send some men down to that city and get to this guy called Peter and bring him up here because I want him to speak to you. So he spoke in a vision to Cornelius and he spoke in a vision to Peter. And he gave them basically the same instruction in slightly different ways. For Cornelius, they were hungry. They wanted to know the Lord. And for Peter, Peter wanted to serve the Lord. Of course, he was an apostle. But now this is roughly 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and he's still learning how to serve God. And God gives him this incredible vision about unclean animals. And Peter's like, well, Lord, I, you know, I'm a good Jew. I don't eat these things. And God said, remember, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. That's what I'm showing you here. And Peter, of course, initially thought the dream was about food. And then as God called him to go into a Gentile's house, 
the light bulb went on. And as he went, he said, now I perceive that what God was telling me is that the gospel is coming to the Gentiles and I shouldn't stand in the way of that progress, that God wants to show his love and demonstrate his love to all people. And so as he goes in obediently to the Lord, God spoke to this one man, he spoke to the other man, and he brought these people together. And as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and an amazing church was born. In Acts 13, we find that Saul and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas, are now with a group of other men, and they're, they're waiting on the Lord. They ministered to the Lord, and they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them during this time of waiting on God and worshiping Him. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Just one word, one, one line, one sentence. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. And this is the beginning of Paul's ministry. As he now begins to go on what we now understand to be the first journey and the second journey and the third journey. And how did it start? They were waiting on the Lord and the Lord just simply spoke to them. Good news for us, a word for us, that if we are serious about hearing from the Lord and having him lead us, we need to do this. We need to sit and wait on the Lord and worship and, and pray and just say, God, I'm your servant. Speak to me, lead me. And he will be faithful to do that. What about the Macedonian call? Uh, Paul is now on the second missionary journey and they're out moving and going, you know, seeking to preach the gospel and uh, all sorts of different places. And when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Well, Lord, why would you do that? I mean, they hadn't heard the word. Shouldn't I go there and preach the word? And the Lord said, no, the door's closed. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, here's the thing. We don't know how God spoke to them specifically. We're just told they were forbidden and they were not permitted. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What an amazing thing that God did here. And he said, no, I, I want you to go over here. But the way he led was through closed doors. He blocked their path in a similar way as what the, the angel of the Lord did with Balaam, except, of course, Balaam was walking in rebellion, and here Saul and his team were walking in obedience. But as they were going, as they were walking, the Lord prevented them from taking certain turns and twists because he didn't want them to go there. He wanted them to go here. And so God directed their path. We're at an hour here. I apologize for that, but I want to tell you this story. When Virginia and I met, uh, I'm going to be emotional. We were on a summer mission project in Ocean City, New Jersey, 1980, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And uh, we, we met the first day that we were there, and there were 30 guys and 30 girls. And as we were um, getting ready for this first day, we were being sent out on, onto the beach. We were, we're in a, a resort town. And so we were just, 
you know, guys, you line up over here, girls, you line up over here. So just quickly, to go do that. So we just go get in the line. And it said, we're going to pair you up, so number one with number one, number two with number two. So I'm over there going, ooh, <laughs> right? Number 11 was her. I'm like, this is cool. So we're supposed to go out, serve the Lord, and preach the gospel. And I'm thinking, nice, Lord, thanks. So this began a relationship over the course of about 10 weeks of the summer. And, you know, we began to spend time together and go out in the morning out to the jetty on the rocks early in the morning and, you know, kind of split up and have our quiet times and then come back together and then go off to work for the day. And, you know, we just started to spend time together over the course of this summer. And as we spent time together, it just became apparent, I think, to both of us that maybe God had something here for us. But keep in mind, I'm 20, she's 19. We're kind of young. What's going on here? So as this whole thing is developing and we're spending time together and I'm starting to get ideas of, of marriage in my head, uh, I'm just, I, I have a guy who's become my best friend. I'm talking to him. I'm like, I don't know. How do you hear God's voice? I don't even know. How, how do I know? How do I know if I should, if this is right? So at that time, where I'm reading in scriptures and and the scriptures during my quiet time is in Genesis 29. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So uh, he's out looking for a wife. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And so he became aware at that moment that she was the one that God had for him. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. And so she ran and told her father. So I read this passage and I'm thinking, Lord, is this a coincidence that I'm kind of reading this passage or is this, are you saying something to me? And I began to think more and more about this and so I kind of came to the place where I said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to talk to her. And I went out and I bought a ring. I had like 300 bucks. Now, if you know diamonds are measured in points, I got uh, 100 points as a carrot, right? I was able to afford for 300 bucks in 1980 a .03 carat diamond. So what they did is, this is like a chip that falls on the floor when they're cutting the diamonds. So they took it and they put it in like a little mirrored setting and it looks like this nice diamond but it was really just like a, a piece of a dirt that came off the floor. <laughs> so I buy this ring, right? Is this right? Yes. So I buy this and I go and and I, I'm struggling. Do I propose to her? I don't know. You know, and I'm thinking, I don't want her to go back to college without a ring on her finger because the guys are going to be all over her. And I'm having all these thoughts, right? I'm just not trusting God. And I'm like, what am I going to do? She's in Massachusetts. I'm in North Carolina. How's this going to work? We're between our sophomore and junior year, and uh, we got to finish college. And this is just, I don't know what's going to happen. So the next day I get up and I read this. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. 
And then later on, after he went in for the wedding, and then he found out his father-in-law Laban had tricked him and said, no, you got to marry the older one first, but you still have to serve me for the younger. And then verse 30, then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So he had to serve 14 years for his bride. And I was looking at it thinking, we've got at least two years here of long-distance relationship, and God used this passage to speak to me, and the word that the Lord gave me was specifically this. If, if Jacob can serve 14 years for the woman he loves, can you serve me for two? Yeah, I think I can do that, Lord. And so I proposed, and here we are. So I hope this study has been helpful to you. I hope you understand that God does move in many ways. I you know, maybe later as you go back and look at this, you can see that God loves us. Here's a final scripture. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. For the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. You see, God will lead us. God is faithful. God cares. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. Lord, we love you. We bless you this morning. And we ask you to lead us, to speak to us, and to guide us. And we pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand all of the things that you have for those who love you. Lord, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, sing a song, and be dismissed.